It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Puckett drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown Raiders. That's by Cliff Branch. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch, all summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler play fake back to pass. It's a good rush out. will cut the man. Stabler throwing deep for Branch. He's got it to 20. But 10. Touchdown Raiders. What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. And filling in for JT today, here's Harry Ruiz. Hour number two of the JT The Brick Show today, Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, kicks off right now with breaking news. The NFL is appealing to Deshaun Watson six-game suspension. How about that? The NFL notified the NFLPA that it will appeal Judge Robinson's disciplinary decision and filed its brief this afternoon. Commissioner Roger Goodell will determine who will hear the appeal. So the league... Wants more than six games of suspension for Deshaun Watson, and we'll keep an eye on that situation as it keeps evolving. There were rumors that it was going to be that the league wanted more than six games. Heck, I remember hearing that they wanted him suspended for the whole year. And the determination with the real ruling with the judge, they said six games. And now the league is appealing. They want more. The NFLPA said they wouldn't appeal their the original suspension, the six games. And now we hear there are absolutely more. We got Mitch from New Jersey calling in. Mitch, how are you, Grandpa? How's it going? Good memory. There you go. Of course. You did have your grandkid already, right? He's 24 years old. 24 days old. <laughs> I was like 24. I was like, whoa. I was like, no, younger one. I haven't been here on the on the air for a bit, so I had to check in. How's everything? What's your uh, call about today? Everything's pretty good. I got good memory here. Maybe your shop is Vince Gullen. You should have a long career like him. Oh, man. Um, I Out there in Southern Calvary, they had uh, Dick Enberg and him. That was some call, play calling. I mean, they did both, they did both of them did both sports, no, the main sports, football and basketball. Um... Are you ready for preseason tomorrow? Raider preseason, first game. Tell you the truth, no. I'm still sucking myself up to, to feed my, my boy and change his diapers. I know, I know. I'm going to screw it up. I know I know. it's easy for some people, but not for me. I'm sorry, just to hold him. The neck is so delicate. But I wanted to say I'm worried about the linebackers, and what you say is a, a deepest running back. Uh, definitely. We might have the best set of running backs ever. But nobody can beat uh, Marcus Allen, Bo Jackson, and I'm throwing in Justin Fargus. What do you think? And um, I hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mitch from New Jersey. I mean, who could beat Bo and Marcus? I mean, you have that backfield? Unbeatable championship material. And someone who's definitely championship material is someone that we love going inside the huddle with, Vinny Bonsignor. Now back to the JT The Brick Show. And it's time to go inside the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Sponsored by Embajador Tequila and presented by the Realty One Group. Embajador Tequila, Realty One Group bring to you Vinny Bonsignor here on the JT The Brick Show. Vinny, all the way from Canton, Ohio. How's everything in Canton so far? 
So far, so good. And I'm technically right now uh, in Cahunga Falls. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Uh, just outside of Canton, Ohio. But we'll, but uh, we just got back uh, from Canton. I uh, got a chance to look at the field that they're going to be playing on. The Raiders are going to be playing on tomorrow night. Uh, it looks really good. Uh, there's a there's a sense of excitement out here right now because obviously Hall of Fame weekend is huge for this area. And just driving through the neighborhoods in and around Canton, Ohio. Uh, and the Hall of Fame, you see all the banners uh, outside of homes, on their windows. They take a lot of pride uh, in this weekend, and rightfully so. And it's definitely going to be a, a, a huge, huge, huge uh, Raiders-centric week and weekend here uh, in Ohio. Absolutely. So you're closer to Canton, Ohio than I am. That's for sure. Without question. No yeah, question so- about it. Probably about uh, 20 minutes away now, uh, with a little bit of traffic. So did you take that rain with you that we had over the weekend? Because apparently in the forecast, there's a possibility of rain during the game. How can that end up hurting the festivities and everything going on down down there? Well, um, not so much for the festivities. Um, you know, uh, obviously for the players, that's going to be, could be a little bit of a, uh, of a, of a wrinkle uh, in things. But uh, considering the heat that the Raiders have been practicing in, it's much cooler here, I got to say that. Uh, that's probably going to be uh, kind of a welcome uh, reprieve, getting a little getting a little wet. Um, you're going to have to deal with that at some point, probably during the regular season. So might as well uh, get it figured out right now uh, in the first preseason game. But I don't think it's going to put too much of a damper on things. Uh, and remember, the uh, the big ceremony is on Saturday. I don't think there's rain in the forecast for Saturday when uh, you know Cliff Branch officially gets inducted and enshrined into the Hall of Fame. And by the way, Richard Seymour was on my flight. Uh, today, uh, I had to connect through Atlanta, and so Richard and his family sitting first class, getting taken care of. I'm glad to see the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, taking care of uh, Richard and his, his family. Former great Raiders defensive tackle um, is already here. Uh, we saw Art Shell uh, at the airport coming in today, so, uh, so it's already starting to build up. Absolutely. I'm checking Google weather and it says 18% chance of rain during the ceremony. So I'll take 18%. On Saturday, instead of tomorrow, where they get they say it's fifty fifty, and that's a little bit scary. And I hope what everybody hopes in these preseason games, no injuries, but also a lot of competition. What are you keeping your eye on the most in the first of four preseason games for the Raiders? Well, without question, the offensive line uh, is Alex Leatherwood uh, going to get some snaps. I would think that he is. Uh, is Brandon Parker going to get snaps? Are they going to be able to play alongside Lester Cotton? Is he going to get snaps? Obviously, he's been one of the bright spots of training camp and really the, the entire offseason. Uh, but we haven't seen Lester Cotton on a football field um, in, in any kind of a consistent t- uh, period of time, really since his college days uh, at Alabama. So is he going to get a, a, a little bit of time uh, to really get his feet uh, under him? Dylan Parham, uh, the young Offensive guard, center, tackle, put him anywhere. Uh, he's been playing everywhere uh, during training camp. I expect him to get some time. I really want to see uh, those young defensive tackles, Neil Farrell uh, and, and, and Matthew Butler, uh, see what, uh, what, how far they've come already uh, in training camp. Uh, I want to get a chance to see uh, Darian Butler, the young uh, linebacker from, from Arizona State. So there's a lot to uh, take a look at. There's a lot to uh, keep our eyes on. I know the starters, if they even play at all, will only play sparingly. Uh, most of the key starters. So uh, it's going to have to be one of those games where you're digging a little bit deeper uh, into things to see. And there's definitely competition along the defensive line. Obviously, we've seen some injuries there. Uh, guys that haven't been able to practice outside linebacker, inside linebacker with Micah Kaiser going down. So there's some battles and some um, 
jobs to be won and lost over these next month or so, and it really starts tomorrow uh, for some of these younger players. Yeah, I think three starters, Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro, they're going to play more golf right now at Top Golf than they are actually going to be on the field tomorrow afternoon. I don't know if you saw that video on Instagram, but Devontae Adams says that Hunter Renfro isn't allowed to request Ubers anymore. They were in the tiniest Uber available, and add Matt, Matt Collins to that equation. There's three dudes that are pretty big and Hunter Renfro so they're going to get busy over there tour the facilities tour the Hall of Fame let the guys that want to earn a spot they're going to be fighting for that position defensively what can we expect tomorrow from the Patrick Graham scheme that has been something that has been on Raider Nation's mind since PG was announced as a Raiders defensive coordinator yeah I'm not quite sure he's going to uh you know, show any, uh, any kind of real hand, um, you know, in terms of what he might be doing uh, in the regular season. But certainly um, you want to see some of these young players like a Neil Farrell, like a, a Matthew Butler, uh, like a Darian Butler, um, you know, uh, get on the field and really apply what they've been learning in the classroom, uh, on the field, during rookie minicamp, uh, minicamp, uh, training camp. Uh, for these last couple of weeks. Let's see what they can um, do now by, by uh, transferring what they've been doing in training camp to an actual football field. Everything goes up a little bit of a notch. There's somebody uh, with bad intentions. If you're Dylan Parham, there's somebody with bad intentions on the other side of the line of scrimmage as opposed to a teammate that's not going to do anything harmful to any one of your players in terms of you know hard tackling and whatnot. So you're going to be seeing a different um, level of uh, engagement. You're going to see a different level of physicality, and uh, the question is: Are are some of these younger players going to stand up to it? Are they going to push the action? Um, and that, that's what you want to see. You want to see the the younger guys. It's not so much what they're going to be doing schematically, because I think everything's going to be played close to the best. Not to mention the fact that you're still really early in training camp. So uh, what they even know to do at this point, um, you know, probably is just scratching the surface. So you just want to see them. Whatever their assignments are right now, can they command it? Um, the, the physicality uh, at this level changes from college. Uh, are they going to be able to, uh, to match it and sustain it and, not, and really push it uh, themselves? Uh, and I think that's what you really want to start looking for right now, this early at this point in the, in the uh, training camp and preseason. So once uh, the first free agency period ended in the NFL, a lot of people were putting question marks pretty much over two units for this Raiders squad. The offensive line... And the cornerbacks, we already spoke a little bit about the offensive line. The cornerbacks, they didn't sign, for example, J.C. Jackson, who was the prize, the huge prize for the free agency cornerback position. But they ended up signing guys that you might not know much about. I'm liking what I'm seeing at practice, uh, Vinny, from guys like Anthony Averett. Chris Jones, Craven LeBlanc, and of course, Rocky Yassine. He came in with a little bit more of a name as a trade chip for Yannick Ngakwe. This cornerback position, do they have the opportunity or the possibility to be not only solid but better than that? Yeah, I think that there's the potential for that. Um, you know, and, and Trayvon Mullen, when he comes back, is going to uh, only uh, up the ante a little bit uh, at that position group. Uh, but but I'm with you. I, I like what I've seen from Rock Gassine and Anthony Averitt and Darius Phillips. Um, you know, and, and obviously Nate Hobbs has been – um, even better than he was last year. You expect that, obviously, going into your second year. But, you know, what you hope you don't see is any kind of a step back or kind of rested on your laurels. And it doesn't look like Nick Hobbs rested on any laurels whatsoever this offseason. He's come in uh, to this, to this uh, training camp 
um, you know, uh, as focused, as engaged as he was uh, last year. I think the sky's the limit for him. So I, I do like this cornerback room. Um, you know, not and that's we have to qualify that by saying, well, we've only seen them in practice. Um, and you, you definitely have to keep that in perspective. But also, let's also keep in perspective, they're dealing with Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, uh, you know, Demarcus Robinson, uh, Keelan Cole, Mac Hollins. I just, I just named off a whole bunch of veteran NFL players and, and, and a few guys that have done some things at a really, really high level, three in particular, uh, and three others who have, you know, definitely been productive NFL players. And yet this cornerback group uh, has more than held its own uh, in practice. So now you got to see it in the game. I don't know if we're going to see some of those top-line guys uh, tomorrow, but some of, the, some of the guys right a step below uh, will be getting some time. And, and I like what I've seen so far. Just got to see it now uh, in, in actual games. What do you make, Vinny, of the Jaguars not taking full advantage of the extra period they could have as one of the teams in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Because they started their training camp after the Raiders did. They just had their first day in full pads a couple of days ago. And I don't think it makes sense. But at the end of the day, it's like everybody has their own way of thinking about things. The Raiders, they took advantage of it both on the field and off the field. The Jaguars, I think they could have done more. What do you make out of that? Yeah, and you know, there's there's not necessarily any right way or wrong way uh, to do this. Um, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of ways uh, to attack uh, all of this, and everybody has uh, their own way of, of looking at things. Obviously, Trevor, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence isn't going to play uh, tomorrow. That's already been announced. Uh, I think that you'll probably see him uh, throughout the preseason. Um, some teams have used, you know, this this um, this ex this extra week basically that you get. Uh, and the Raiders did this as well to kind of really focus on fundamentals um, and, and just starting for almost from a ground zero from that perspective. Um, so, you know, to whatever extent the Jacksonville Jaguars um, have, uh, you know, uh, practiced in pads or whether they waited a day or two later uh, than the Raiders to, to, uh, to come aboard or, or to start, um, I don't think that there's a right way or a wrong way. We'll find out. And this it's also a much younger team uh, than the Raiders are. And I don't think the expectations, uh, obviously the expectations in Jacksonville aren't as what, um, you know, uh, what they are here in Las Vegas for the Raiders. So that might play into it uh, a little bit uh, as well. It's a new coaching staff. I think they're sort of walking their way uh, into this early stage. But, um, you know, without – the expectations in Jacksonville, I don't want to say that they're not playing to win this season because they obviously are, but I think it's a little bit of a different situation in Jacksonville than it is here with the Raiders. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And I mean, they're excited too with Doug Peterson coming in, but they're looking a little bit more to the near future, a couple of years down the road instead of the right now as the Raiders are thinking about coming off of a postseason, coming off of a 10-win year. And Jacksonville, they've been a top-10 pick, what, the last three, four years since they made it to the AFC Championship game? They've been a top-10 pick team in the NFL draft, and that's not good. Definitely not good. Vinny, you're out there in the Canton, Ohio area. Do you start seeing a lot of silver and black right now? Because I'm checking out social media. Q arrived just when Wendy's out there. I know Gorilla Rilla is either on his way or already out there. What are you looking for the silver and black nation out there? Yeah, uh, no doubt that at the airport there was a silver and black um, you know, uh, presence without question. Uh, Art Shell, like we said uh, a little bit earlier, was there at the airport. Richard Seymour coming in for his 
uh, enshrinement. Um, so yes, definitely seeing silver and black here. I would imagine that it's going to be um, really more, more and more prevalent tomorrow uh, when we get uh, to, the, to game night and kickoff. Uh, and then certainly throughout the weekend, because with Cliff Branch and Richard Seymour both going into the Hall of Fame, uh, there's no question that this is a, is a, is a Raiders weekend. So you're going to definitely see Raider Nation uh, bold, loud, uh, in abundance, uh, as they always are. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how they uh, stand up, especially for Cliff Branch on Saturday, uh, without Cliff Branch obviously being there. So, so they're going to have to step in. Uh, and and uh, and and replace them a little bit, and I'm, I'm sure they're up to the challenge. The way you described them, I was like, well, just any given Sunday. I was like, that's how they always are. Raider Nation always representing, always proud. Vinny, before I let you go, I know you've been out. You had been out in L.A. for a long time. Uh, hard news that we had to find out about yesterday at night with the passing of Vince Scully. What did he mean to you? Um, well, it, it was multi-layered, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and, and for, for somebody who literally mowed his lawn on Saturdays, you know, when we did our chores, uh, the Bonsignor family uh, on a Saturday and a Sunday in the summer, you know, when dad said it's your turn to go edge the uh, lawn or, or mow the lawn or pull the weeds or whatever the case was, uh, that, that, that transistor radio was with us. If we were listening to Vince Scully and the Dodgers, I wasn't even the biggest Dodger fan. I'm a Mets fan, but I loved Vince Scully and I loved listening to him call games, you know, so... So growing up, listening to him and Chick Hearn calling the Laker games, it was quite the honor. Uh, and then for me personally, just professionally and personally, just to literally get to say that not only did I meet the man, I got to know him, uh, I got to talk to him, um, hear him, his stories. Uh, there was uh, one one particular night uh, on a, on a uh, very tight deadline game where the Dodgers gave up like a three-run home run in the ninth inning uh, to tie it, uh, and then they had to go to extra innings. They, they ended up winning it. And I just remember getting on an elevator with, uh, with Vince Scully, and he was the only one in the elevators, just me and him. Everyone else was writing on deadline uh, to go down to the clubhouse for, for Vin to go down uh, you know, to, to catch his car. And he just looked at me, and he goes, i got to imagine these nights are crazy for you guys. And just to hear Vince Scully understand what I was going through um, meant a lot to me. And we shared a laugh. There was a funny story to that one day. I'll tell you this, that story, Harry. It was really funny, actually. Um, so moments like that, moments in the, uh, in the media uh, dining room, where us writers would be, you know, doing our thing, coming up after, uh, after our availability with the players down in the clubhouse, come up, grab a quick bite to eat. And Vince Scully would always come join us and, uh, and, and talk to us and, and share stories with us. Um, it was, I mean, you were always in awe. Even though Vince Scully was one of the coolest, most humble people on the face of the earth, especially considering who he was, his stature, um, and what he meant to the sport of baseball, to the city of Los Angeles nationally, because he did, you know, a bunch of big games and big events. He never, he never looked at himself like that. And so he always presented himself in a very humble way. And it was kind of shocking to see, uh, Vince Scully, somebody of that stature, uh, you know, presenting himself in that kind of a manner, but it was always refreshing. So yeah, I have a, I've just, I mean, I definitely shed some tears last night just thinking about, from childhood to adulthood um, and being able to go from being a fan to somebody that knew him and got to work with him. Um, just, just an honor. Yeah, it was definitely very, very, I was in the movie theater 
last night when I got the notification on my phone and I, the second half of the movie, I can't even remember much of what happened. And it was definitely a hard moment. I'm a Dodgers fan. So for me, he was a soundtrack of pretty much my whole life until the end of 2016 and that season. And it's been very hard. We'll be hearing some of his best calls uh, after the break. But I, I had to ask you about it because I know you were there and you lived it and you experienced it. And it was definitely something that impacted a lot of folks. And you're the prime example. You weren't a Dodgers fan, but you would still just tune into a game because he was that damn good. Without question. Without question. Well, Vinny, you're that damn good as well. I can't wait to check out your coverage, both Raider Nation Radio and Review Journal. You do a fantastic job. Thank you for bringing us inside the huddle here today on the JT The Brick Show. All right. Thanks a lot, brother. Uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week back in Vegas. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Vinny Vonsignor, he's out there for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony on Saturday for the Hall of Fame game tomorrow. He's got your Raiders coverage. Check him out on social media at the Review Journal and uh, also on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. This is the JT The Brick Show. Let's go to a break and we'll take more of your calls. 702 This is the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. To the JT The Brick Show with today's guest host, Harry Ruiz. Parker drops back to pass, steps up, he looks, over the middle, he's got it, touchdown Raiders! It's caught by Cliff Branch! Cliff Branch, who got 66 yards last December of 1979 with a touchdown pass from Kenny Stabler in the same turf, in the end zone waiting, Parker put things over very calmly and then dumped it to him. Huge weekend for the Raider Nation Cliff Branch. Finally, justice is made for number 21 Cliff Branch. Number 21 on the field, number one in your hearts. He will be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame Saturday. The induction ceremony is at 9 in the morning Pacific time. So wake up early. Or Well, that's early for me. Not early for a lot of people, but I'm usually a night owl. So anything before 10 a.m., like, I usually come into the studio when I fill in for JT. The T is early, so especially on Saturday, wake up early, check it out. Can't miss it. Richard Seymour, he's going into the Hall of Fame as well. Two more Raiders that will have their numbers put out there in the club level at Allegiant Stadium that you'll be able to go check out. And that's something that I always tell my friends. Every team retires numbers, the Raiders don't. Why? Because if the Raiders did, the current players wouldn't have any numbers to use on the field. So Raiders doing their thing with the legacy of those who are in the Hall of Fame by representing them. And if there's a team that takes care of their legends and their former players, it's the silver and black, something that Al Davis used to do, that Mark Davis is carrying the legacy, and something that is fantastic that the Raider Nation 
appreciates and appreciates a lot. Shout out to our friends at Remy Martin, proud partners of the JT The Brick Show. Whether it's a Remy sidecar, Remy Old Fashioned, or just on ice, Remy Martin Cognac should always be your choice. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride with the Remy Martin by your side. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. So Raiders defense, I know a lot of you are a little bit freaked out with Chandler Jones. He hasn't practiced now for four training sessions in a row out there at Raiders headquarters at training camp. Honestly, Raider Nation, he's a 10-year vet. A lot of these vets, they don't like training camp a lot. He has been out there for OTAs, for mandatory minicamp, for a lot of the training camp sessions. He hasn't been there for four in a row. The way I look at it, he wasn't going to play in these preseason games. Not tomorrow, not in week one against Minnesota, not in week two against Miami, not in week three against the New England Patriots. He's going to make his Raiders debut week one against the Arizona Cardinals. Not Cardinals. The Cardinals is a home opener. Week one against the Chargers. Week two against the Cardinals, of course he's going to want to play against his former team and show him what he's worth. The Raiders paid him what he thought he was worth. The Cardinals didn't. So he's going to go out there with a vengeance. Chandler Jones, he's a key piece of this defense. Of course he's going to be out there balling out. If he doesn't practice for a couple of training camp sessions, I'm okay with it. The Raiders and every team in the NFL, they're not, they're not obligated to report any injuries until the week before the regular season kicks off. And then you got to report three days before your game, your injury report, and do it very clearly. If not, you might end up getting fined. So I won't panic about the Chandler Jones situation or the Darren Waller situation who hasn't practiced in the last two training sessions for the Raiders. It's training camp. Darren Waller, you know what he can do. Chandler Jones, you know what he can do. And it's not like the Roderick Teamer situation where he crashed into Jonathan Abram and Teamer has been out since then and he hasn't practiced. You saw that on the field and you know Teamer is not at 100% and he's not practicing because of that. These other two fellas, we didn't see anything happen on the field. That doesn't mean it didn't. But we didn't see anything happen on the field I'm not panicking. A lot of people, once one of the beat writers posts on social media, this guy isn't practicing. Oh, my God, what's going on? Is he hurt? Is he out for the year? Is he on a holdout? I'm like, guys, it's training camp. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Chill. And Chandler Jones, I'm sure he's going to be back. And Chandler, he's going to be a huge part of a Raiders defense that's being managed by a guy that a lot of folks don't think he's going to be here for a long time because Patrick Graham, people thought he was going to be a head coach in this head coaching carousel that we had during the offseason, but he didn't end up getting an opportunity. So what did he do? He comes out to Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels to put his imprint into this Raiders defense. And if he does want to become a head coach in the league, which obviously is his goal, what a better way to do it than Putting a unit for the Raiders that has been a weak spot for them for a great part of the last two decades. Do a great job with them. Help the Raiders not only be a team that can put a lot of points on the board, but that can also become a defensive unit that's respected in the league. 
And Patrick Graham, he talks to us about how the players have adjusted to a scheme that a lot of people say it's very, uh, very tough to learn. This is what PG says. I mean, football, again, is not as complex as everybody thinks. I mean, football, you know, you have single high zone, you have single high man. They played that here last year. You have split safety zone, split safety man. They played that here last year. I mean, we're not reinventing the wheel anywhere. Um, you know, again, from each system, it's usually language. That's probably the thing that's different. And the guys have embraced it. I mean, so, again, I mean, this is a very successful defense last year. And, you know, we're just trying to build on that. And then, obviously, some of the language changes. But, I mean, it's really not as complex as everybody thinks. I mean, there's not, there's only so much you could do out there on the field to take away what the offense is doing. And we just – it's usually a different language. He says it's not as complex as a lot of people think. It is a little complex, and I like it. I prefer that than something easy because something easy is what it seemed like it was last year with Gus Bradley. This is complex, but that means that there's a high ceiling for this defense. There's high hopes, high expectations that they can not be just the reason why we got one stop when we needed it the most and we were able to win because of that. It's like, no, go out there and be one of the reasons why instead of we won thanks to one stop. It's like, no, we kicked that team's butt because the defense only allowed 10 points and our offense scored 30. And it was easy sailings for the end of the game. Be that. Do a good job. Don't have people losing their hair like me because they're all nervous throughout the game. Are they able to be are they gonna be able to stop this team on this possession? Heck, you go to that overtime game against the Chargers. The Raiders kick a field goal, and then Mike Williams seems to be going all the way to the end zone. Unfortunately, Trayvon Merrick stopped him right before the red zone, and the Raiders stopped him for a field goal attempt. But there was a moment where I was like, that's it. Miguelito, Mike Williams is going to go all the way to the end zone, and our season is over. No. The Raiders, they were able to stop him at 20, but that's it. It was bend, don't break. I got a feeling this year... They can absolutely be stoppers if they're able to implement what Patrick Graham wants to do on the field with this defense. And the Raiders, the Raider Nation, they've been waiting for a long time to have a defense that is a threat for the opponent's offense. That you go in there and you're thinking, this is going to be a tough game. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case for a long while for the Raiders. So... Let that sink in, Raider Nation. Patrick Graham, there's high hopes on what he can do with this defense. And my God, if I could tell you, Max Crosby at practice, he has looked incredible. And that's what you want to see from a player going into his fourth year as a pro, that every year he has kept growing and growing and growing and getting better and becoming a star in this league getting respect from his peers, getting respect from the media, getting respect from his team that got to offer him a huge contract that's paying him nearly $100 million. And Max Crosby, he's still staying humble. He's still staying as that guy that wants to win, but wants to win with the Raiders, wants to win with the team that drafted him, that gave him an opportunity, and that's definitely something that the Silver and Black wants to do. So before going to a break, I want to say something real cool. So I went to practice for the Silver and Black 
on Monday, the last practice they held here in Vegas before heading out to Canton, Ohio. And it was really cool to see some football teams out there, uh, like Cimarron High School, Green Valley High School, Bishop Gorman, El Dorado, Las Vegas, many more. And then Girls Flag, they were out there too. Basic High School, Desert Oasis, Clark, Shadow Ridge, and then more folks from the Special Olympics Nevada, North Las Vegas PD, Nevada State Police, Henderson PD, Metro, Clark County Fire. It was Community Day out there in Henderson, Nevada. And unfortunately, in some other days, I've seen the stands pretty empty. And I mean, I can't blame people. They're usually at work during the weekdays at nine in the morning or 10 in the morning when the Raiders are practicing. But that day it was community day and the Raiders had the stands packed with over a thousand folks that were guests from the Las Vegas community showing their support for the Raiders. And this is huge because Vegas until the Raiders moved in 2020 is a city where people didn't have a team. I mean, you root for the team from the city you're from. And if you're from Vegas and you don't have an NFL team, you'll root for the team that's on TV or that team that plays the most. And now the Raiders are here. They need to connect even more with the Las Vegas community. And that was something great that the Raiders did for the Las Vegas folks. And they were able to connect with those people. And I stayed there until the end of practice. Unfortunately, I wasn't kicked out once practice ended. So I was able to hang out with the folks that were there and Derek Carr went and he signed autographs for a good 10, 15 minutes. He started from one end of the line of people all the way to the other end. So that was cool to see uh, who else stopped by Jacob Johnson, the fullback for the Raiders, uh, Denzel Perryman, Pro Bowl linebacker, um, Alex Zetherwood. I thought I saw him there as well. So it's good to see players. And you remember those moments. We were watching, I was watching the Derek Jeter documentary. I know you're not a big Derek Jeter fan, Bobby, but he was talking about a story of when he met his first Major League Baseball player and he got an autograph from, from him and he's like, I want to be like him and play for the New York Yankees as a kid. And there's kids out there that were kids all the way from four years old till 17 years old that were waiting for an autograph from a player or take a selfie and just have a conversation with them. And that can be the moment where it switches from, you know what? I like this team, but Derek Carr gave me his autograph and he was real nice with me. I like, I want Derek Carr to succeed. I want the Raiders to succeed. I'm going to root for them. They play in my hometown of Vegas. I want them to succeed. So that's something good that the Raiders are doing out there and community day. I hope they have more. I mean, I know it's tough now because school is about to start again and you can't have all those kids out there, but if your season ticket holders from club seats or suites only have reserved, I don't know, 200, 300 spaces for training camp, send out an email to your local season ticket holders from other sections. Invite them. Tell them, it's like, hey, you know what? Last minute opportunity. If you can make it here tomorrow at 8 in the morning to training camp, we'll let you in. I can guarantee you. There will be people calling in sick to work. There will be people who, heck, won't even call work. They'll go to watch the Raiders play and then just take the consequences because they want to watch the Raiders in person. And it's a great opportunity and a great experience for a lot of them. I saw some of my friends at practice on Saturday or Saturday, the day that it got rained out. 
and two of them somehow ended up in the family section. So they got to take pictures with Max Crosby, who was there with his mom and his fiance. They got to take pictures with Foster Moreau, who was there with his family, and they were all super happy. Give that experience to other folks. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but I don't like it that it was just club seats and suites that got invited to those days. Let more people into the party, especially those days that it's a little bit empty. Raider Nation, let's take a break. But before we do that, I want to tell you something real quick here from one of our sponsors at the JT The Brick Show. My go-to spirit for my summer cocktails is a botanist gin. Botanist is hands down my favorite gin, and it's the number one fastest growing brand. It's as simple as gin and tonic with the botanist and fever tree tonic. Or a brunch cocktail called Georgia Peach with the botanist peach straps and fresh OJ. But... If you really want to step up and impress, then make a French 75. The Botanist, Lemon Juice, Simple Syrup, and Chilled Champagne. Step up your cocktail game with the Botanist Gym, a proud partner of the JT The Brick Show. We're going to take a break, Raider Nation, and we're going to come back to close to talking about one of my idols, Vince Scully. He passed away last night, hit me hard, and we're going to honor him. Coming up after the break here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on the JT The Brick Show. the JT The Brick Show with today's guest host, Harry Ruiz. Baseball lost an icon. Sports lost a legend. Vin Scully, Dodgers broadcaster from 1950 to 2016, passed away last night. And it's definitely it was definitely a hard moment for everybody that used to enjoy their broadcast, especially for Dodgers fans, which... I'm very loudly saying all the time that I'm one. And uh, it's something that hurt us all. And youngest announcer to call a World Series game at 25 years old, called a total of 25 fall classics and 12 all-star games, 21 no-hitters, three perfect games. This man, Justin Turner said it perfectly last night. He was the Dodgers. He is the Dodgers. People came and went. Players managers, coaching staffs, fans. I mean, to live 94 years old, that's that's something. He he broadcasted sports for 67 years. Bobby, I'll consider myself lucky if I make it to 67. This man worked for 67 years. How many people can say they had the same job for 67 years? That shows you the passion that he had for it and how God damn good he was at it. He retired in 2016. He called all the Dodgers home games that, that year. And he did one road series. And it was the final one for the Dodgers that season, regular season-wise, against the Giants. And he went to San Francisco and he called those games. And unfortunately, the Dodgers lost that final game. But 
San Francisco, despite us having that rivalry that at times it gets nasty, vote on the field and in the stands and outside the stadiums, the folks in San Francisco, they showed him love. They appreciated him because that's who Vince Scully was. He was a gentleman. We heard Vinny Vonsignor talking about him and the interactions they had in the broadcast booth. And he was always a gentleman. Me, as a fan, I never got to shake his hand. The closest I was was him walking out of the Vin Scully press box at Dodger Stadium, going from there to the elevator that was right across from it. And then he would go up to the reserve level where the elevator would stop and drop him off right next to his car and his driver would take him home. I would see him a couple of times down there in the press area just to wave him goodbye or keeping my fingers crossed that he would sign an autograph or take a picture or something, but he would usually just have security around him. Why? I mean, I don't blame him. He's the most iconic Dodger. You talk the most important Dodgers in history, and you say Jackie Robinson and him, and then everyone else in a franchise filled with icons like Sandy Koufax, Pee Wee Reese, Kill Hodges, Don Drysdale, Don Sutton, Duke Snyder, Tommy Lasorda, Fernando Valenzuela, Oral Hershiser, the whole infield, Clayton Kershaw. The list goes on and on. And Vince Gully, in my opinion, he's up there in the top of the list with Jackie Robinson. Jackie's the ultimate Dodger on the field. And Vin, despite him never taking a swing of a bat on the field or taking a real pitch because he did a lot of ceremonial first pitches because he deserved it. He was the Dodgers. He is the Dodgers. And the thing is, it wasn't just him calling baseball games. He also called NFL football games. He also called golf. Heck, I bet golf was entertaining with Vince Scully. If he was calling PGA golf right now, I would be watching it. And it seemed like every big moment that happened in sports had Vince Scully in the broadcast booth. The catch, he was there. Pontiac, third and three. We'll see a pick of some kind on the right side, possibly. Montana, looking, looking, throwing in the end zone. Dwight Clark! And he would always let the Nat sounds, the crowd noise, be the big protagonist, be the star of the moment. Hank Aaron. 715, he was there. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive in the deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. Of course the Braves would be playing the Dodgers when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record. And of course Vince Scully would give us a, sound, a soundtrack 
with history that would just leave everybody in awe. It doesn't matter how many years later we listen to it. Of course, the quality nowadays is a little bit better audio-wise, but I'll take it. Any Vince Scully call. And my personal favorite, 1988, World 1. World 1. Game 1 of the World Series. Kirk Gibson, and this soundtrack is the best. Game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. That was the last Dodgers World Series that he called, but he got to watch the Dodgers win another World Series in 2020, that pandemic-shortened year that at least he was able to get another ring, even though he wasn't a part of the team. That man deserves everything. And the Dodgers last night, they were playing when the news came out of Vince Gully passing away. They were an hour and a half into their game, and Mookie Betts keeps doing Mookie Betts things. This one is swung on a drill to center field and deep. Slater going back to the track, to the wall, it's gone, a home run! Mookie Betts with his 24th home run, hit it to dead center field, and the Dodgers now with a 6-0 lead. They were up 6-0. The Giants shortened the lead 6-5, but the Dodgers ended up running away with it 9-5. Game number three of that series, the Dodgers go to the sweep tonight, sending Julio Urias up on the mound. 6-45 first pitch. Dodgers' best record in Major League Baseball. 70 wins, 33 losses. Here's an interesting stat. Vince Gully called games from players born in, from 1916 all the way through 1996 and that guy born in 96 that he called his game Julio Diaz who's stepping on the mound today Clayton Kershaw one of the all-time greats spoke about Vince Scully last night post game he was the best ever was yeah I mean I think um, just when you think about the Dodgers you know there's a lot of history here and there's a lot of people that have come through and um, it's just a storied franchise all the way around, but the, it almost starts with Vin, honestly. Like, when you think about Vin, um, like, he's right there with Jackie. Obviously, it's a different thing, but just as far as the history of our organization, Vin's been through it all, and just such a special man. All I have to say, Vin Scully, greatest to ever do it, an idol, someone to just idolize, to be able to look at and be like, that man, I want to be like him one day. Like I said, if I stay in the broadcasting business for 20, 30 years, I'll be happy. But that man, he lived it for 67 years. The greatest to ever do it. Let's go, Raider Nation. It's time to say goodbye. But coming up is Q, Unnecessary Roughness, here on Raider Nation Radio, live from Canton, Ohio.